Welcome, church. Oh, come on. Come on. You can be that. Welcome, church. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to finish out Proverbs chapter 1 in this moment. Uh, I was thinking as I prepared for this message many weeks ago, some of you will remember this. Some of you would be like a foreign concept to you. But I remember when I was in elementary school, our school did not have like a real four-walled kind of library. Anybody remember those days? You like, you didn't have a library. In fact, our library was on a bus that was portable. Anybody have one of those? I mean, it traveled everywhere. And so once a month, the library would come to your school and you got to get out of class, go into the library and pick a book out. Now, the thing for me was this. I, I really only enjoyed the getting out of class part to that whole deal because uh, reading really wasn't my thing. I didn't enjoy it. But you'd have to go there and you always have to pick out a book. And I remember the books that I liked the most were the ones that were like choose-your-own-adventure books. I don't know if you remember those or not, but here's kind of what those books were like. Yeah, Trent remembers those. And here's what those books looked like. You'd read a page or two, and at the end of the second or first page, it would give you a choice. If you want to make this decision, turn to page 83, or if you want to make this decision, turn to page 53. And so every few pages you would read, there was another choice, and there was another page you turned to. Now here's the point. At the end of your journey, wherever that thing ended, was a direct result of decisions that you had made all along the way, right? Now when I think about that, I think, isn't that how life is for us? Life is a series of crossroads. In fact, if we really got honest, we really thought about it, every day our lives are filled with decisions, aren't they? Every day we have decisions. Now, we make decisions every day. We come to crossroads and we determine, are we going to go to page 83? Are we going to go to page 53? I mean, we make massive decisions in our life. And here's what I want you to know about all the decisions you've made. Your decisions you've made have not completely defined your life and the totality of your life, but the decisions we make do impact the direction of our life. Amen? They do. Every single one of them. Now, what most of us know is this. You know that to be true because you know it from the negative side. You know it because you've made a series of bad decisions in your life, or you've made some wrong choices in your life, and you felt the effects of those, haven't you? You've made some bad decisions, wrong choices, and you turned to page 85, and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. I mean, those decisions impacted the direction of your life. We know that. We know that all these decisions impact us, and many of those are the wrong decisions that we make, and they end in the wrong way. And here's what we know about those wrong decisions. Ultimately, what do they do to us? Ultimately, they wreck our lives. Maybe they wreck a relationship you have, a friendship that you have. Maybe it wrecks your finances. Maybe it wrecks your influence. Maybe it wrecks your testimony. Maybe it wrecks your marriage. Maybe it re- I don't know what it may wreck, but the truth of the matter is when we make wrong choices in life and it leads us down this path, ultimately it will wreck our lives. And the only remedy to keep us from wrecking our lives is to choose and pursue and obey God's wisdom Not man's wisdom. Amen? Do you believe that? I mean, the only way for us not to wreck our lives, like our logo, how to not wreck your lives, the only way for us to do that is by us pursuing, choosing, and obeying God's wisdom. Because let's make no mistake about it. When we make decisions in life and we do them independent of God's wisdom and God's word and God's way, it is setting us up for a course of failure. It's setting us up ultimately to lead us to a place where we will wreck our lives. When we choose to do life without God, without his wisdom, we're destined to wreck our lives. We are. It's going to happen that way. But if we choose to put God's word into our life and his wisdom into our life, 
and we desire it, and we pursue it, and we choose the right way versus the wrong way, and we obey God's wisdom in our life, then and only then will we begin to see the provision, the protection, and the direction of God that he has for us. That's why it's so important for us to jump into the book of Proverbs and to see so many different passages and what it says about wisdom and how we're to live our lives. So last week we started with what was the purpose of wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, we saw the purpose. And in finding the purpose of wisdom and going through wisdom literature, we also discovered the value of it. Now today what I want us to look at as we finish the, the chapter 1, we're going to see the way of the wicked, we're going to see the way of the wise, and then we're going to see the truth about wisdom. So we're going to read a pretty lengthy passage today at different moments, so I'm not going to ask you to stand and to read God's Word, but I want to start with talking about and looking at what is the way of the wicked. In other words, how do wicked people behave? So look with me in verses eight, or 10 through 14. Chapter 1, verse 10 through 14, the way of the wicked. He says this, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come let us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive like a hole that those who go down to the pit. We shall find all the precious goods. We shall find our, our houses filled with plunder. Throw in all your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. Now, that is the way of the wicked there. Now, here's what I know about Proverbs, and you know it too. Sometimes it feels like a riddle, right? You're like, what in the world is he talking about? We're going to unpack that. But here's what I want you to know about Proverbs. While it seems complex, once you begin to unpack the riddle, what you find out is the book of Proverbs is very, very, very simple. You either do this and are blessed by God, or you do this and you walk in the path of the wicked. It's just that simple. And so here we see the way of the wicked. And notice what he says first. He says, my son, when sinners entice you, now see, that's one of the ways of the wicked. They come along and they want to entice us. What? What do they want to entice us with? They want us to entice us to live the way they're living life. Now, how do they live life? Well, we've kind of said it by defining them as what? Wicked. We, we kind of know what life that looks like. Have you ever had the, heard the phrase, misery likes company? Have you ever heard that phrase, misery likes company? That's the wicked. I mean, they want to live life the way they want to live life. They want to do what they want to do, and they want you to join in with them. Misery likes company. If I, this ship's going down, I want you to go down with me. And they entice us and tempt us and plead with us to live like they are living. Now look at the sin they want us to partake in. Look with me back in verse 11 through 13. He says, if they say, talking about the wicked, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, we shall find precious goods, we shall fill the houses with plunder, and throw yourself the lot among us. In other words, he's saying there are three things here. He says, first of all, let us lie in wait for blood. Now that seems very uh, interesting phrase there. One of the things that the wicked encourage us and want us to do, the sin they want us to engage in, he says, is to lie in wait for blood. Well, what does that mean? Well, in this context, he's talking about physical blood. He's talking about taking someone's life. But we know that wisdom kind of transcends just the physical side. It also applies to the emotional side. And literally what he says is this, is that the wicked people are going to entice you and say, I want you to be willing to join us. I want to encourage you to join us to help us injure and hurt others for personal pleasure. Now think about that. The wicked want other people to join their, 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 their group and their, their, their process and their thinking of life. You join my party and you join my group and you join my mentality. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to lie and wait with us. 
I want you to enjoy with us what we enjoy. You know what we enjoy? We enjoy injuring and hurting other people just for pleasure. That's how the wicked act. And you say, Doug, nobody acts like that. Yes, they do. I've met them, and so have you. Unfortunately, we meet them in the church too sometimes, don't we? People that just kind of lie in wait, and their only agenda in life is to injure and to hurt other people emotionally. Maybe they feel bad about themselves. They have self-esteem issues. So they're going to do all they can to even the playing field by pulling someone else down. And he says, listen, one of the things that the wicked say is they want you to join with them in hurting and injuring other people for your own personal pleasure. And then he says this, let us ambush a harmless soul. Now think about it. You know what an ambush is, don't you? You know what an, you know what an ambush is? Say Amen. Okay, so a couple of you know. Okay, so ambushes, you hide out at the right moment, you jump out, and you attack. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, I want you to join us, and I want us to attack people. Why? Just for sport. Just because we can. There's no justification. There's no rhyme or reason. I want you just to join us because we can do this. So he says, listen, no, I don't want you to join us in injuring and hurting people for pleasure. I want you to join us in attacking people just for sport. And then the big thing, he says this, we shall fill our house with plunder. Here's what he means. We're going to seek to get wealthy by taking advantage of other people. I want you to hear me tonight. I want you to hear me in this moment. As we go through Proverbs, I want you to hear this. This is the voice of the wicked. Now, it may sound a little different from the wicked people we know in the world, or it may shape out a little bit different, but the heartbeat of the wicked is still the same. The heartbeat is that they want us and entice us and encourage us and invite us to join them, to join them to injure and hurt people for personal pleasure, to to come alongside and attack people emotionally, spiritually, just for sport. And they want to encourage us to live our lives in such a way to take advantage of people and get all that we can. That's what the wicked say to us. That's what the wicked entice us with. Now, when you think about that, just think with me just for a moment. Think about who the wicked are. So you talk about wicked people, but I want you to know the heartbeat of who the wicked are. Wicked people are people who totally ignore the things of God. They totally ignore this word. They care nothing for it. They care nothing about it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Wicked people totally ignore the wisdom of God. And wicked people are ultimately consumed with themselves first at the expense of others. Take care of me, myself, and I. See, now some of you are like not smiling personally because I can't see your face, but I know you're not smiling because I can see your eyebrows. You're like got this frown thing going on. And the reason you think that is because you're like, man, I know people like this. I know people like this. I know people that want me to pursue and to join them. The people that want me to come alongside of them and hurt and injure and attack and take advantage of other people. See, that's how the wicked operate. They, they don't care about God's wisdom. They don't care about God's word. All they care about is me, myself, and I. And I don't care who it hurts. I don't care the ripple effect of my actions. I simply don't care. It's all about me getting what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And if it hurts somebody, so be it. See, the wicked are driven by greed, right? Now look at verse 14. <clears throat> he reiterates this. Throw in your lot among us, We will all have one purse. In other words, listen, here's what we want to do. Would you join us? Would you throw your lot in? Would you jump in feet first and go, man, I want to be on that team. Now, how many of us are jumping to be on that team? Nobody. But here's the question I think we've got to ask ourselves. Do we have wicked people in our lives? Are there wicked people that are around us? Are there wicked people that joke at the expense of others? 
Are there wicked people that gossip and criticize other people just for sport? Are there wicked people in our lives that try to teach us to do all we can to take advantage of other people just to get what we want? And the answer is what? Yes, there's wicked people like that. And are they in your lives? And if the answer is yes, they're in your lives, here's what I want to say to you as your pastor and with a lot of love, they got to go. They got to go. Oh, Doug, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus can't change their heart? I'm not saying that at all. Jesus can change the heart, but you can't. And for many Christians in the world, we have all these people in our lives, all these people have got a voice in our lives, and many of those people are wicked, and they're enticing us, and enticing us, and enticing us. And what we do is, we, we kind of Christianize that relationship, going, well, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus, and, and I'm going to lead them to the Lord, and then we never do it. Listen, I'm not saying you can't befriend somebody that's wicked, but what I am saying is you can't be their best friend. See, when you're in a relationship and you befriend somebody that doesn't know Christ and lives a wicked life, you should have one agenda in that relationship. You know what that one agenda is? Is to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Because if you say you love them and never shared the gospel with them, you're a hypocrite. If you say you care about them and you've never shared the gospel, you're a hypocrite. And so if you've got a wicked person in your life, you have got to do business with that. See, Paul was right when he said this. He said, bad company corrupts good character, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Now, if you're breathing, you know that that's right, don't you? You've either seen it, you've experienced it, or right now you are in it. Bad company, in fact, the Greek translation is bad company always corrupts good character. So when we look at this passage, the first thing we've got to know is, what is the way of the wicked? And here's the thing about the wicked. They're doing all they can to entice us to join them and to be a part. And then the second thing I want you to notice is found in the next few verses. It's the way of the wise. The way of the wise. Look with me in verse 8. Look what it says here in verse 8. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So we first of all saw the way of the wicked, which was, you know, abusing, injuring, hurting people just for personal pleasure and just for sport and trying to take advantage of people. But now Solomon kind of correlates this idea of that's the way of the wicked. But let me tell you about the way of the wise. And there's two things about the wise I want you to write down. First of all, wise people cling to godly counsel. Wise people, the wise he's talking about, those people cling to godly counsel. And really, actually, I would say that they cling to counsel of their parents, godly counsel of their parents. Now, I say parents because in this passage, it's a father speaking to his son. But we know that truth transcends. So if someone's pouring godly wisdom into your life, you should cling to that. You should absolutely cling to that. And he says here, listen, son, he says, you need to cling to the godly counsel. He notice here, he says, you know, your father gives you instruction. Don't ignore it. Your mother's given you teachings don't forsake it. Now, what's the difference in instruction and teaching? Instruction is that your father is pouring into you how you're to live your life in a way that honors God. And what is your mother doing? She's pouring in biblical truth into your life. She's pouring teaching into you. Don't forsake that. He says, listen, whatever you do, take the instruction that's the godly instruction, take the godly teachings that you've had put into your life, all that godly counsel, and listen, I want you to cling to it. Hold fast to it. Now notice what he says here. It's like a garland around your head and a pendant around your neck. 
Well, Doug, what in the world does that mean? Well, garland should literally be translated a wreath around your head, which makes more sense, and a pendant around your neck. Well, those are like jewelry terminology, which most men, we have no idea what we're talking about. It's jewelry terminology. And so a garland and, and a pendant was something that they used back in that day to adorn themselves with, to cover themselves with, because they were such value and they would wear them everywhere they went. And that's exactly what Solomon's saying. Listen, when you find this godly counsel of your parents or those wise people that have instructed you and taught you, listen, adorn yourself with that wisdom. Cover yourself with that wisdom. Why? Because it is of extraordinary value to your life. See, the wise will cling to the godly counsel they've been given, and they won't consent. Did you notice what he says there? He says, my son of sinners entice you, do not what? Do not consent. Don't give in. See, the way of the wicked is I'm going to live how I want to, I don't care what my thinks. But the way of the wise, they take the wisdom that's been poured into them, the instruction and the teaching, and they cling to it, and they don't consent. But another way of the wise is found in verse 15 through 19. Look with me there. 15 through 19 says this. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust uh, gain. It takes away the life of his possessors. And others say, listen, here's the way of the wise too. Not only do they cling to the godly wisdom they've been given, but wise people don't walk with the wrong crowd. How many of your parents had the conversation with your teenager about hanging out with the wrong kids, right? We've all done it, haven't we? We've all done it. And then we've had to go back and have the same conversation again because they didn't listen. And over and over and over again. The thing that a wise person does is they choose not to walk with the wrong crowd. It's the idea of they actually are guarding their steps. You notice there, he says, he says, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. In other words, guard every step you take. Why? Because wise people realize that when the wicked entice you, listen, hear me, when they entice you, what they're enticing you to is a trap. Did you hear that? What they're enticing you into is a trap. Isn't that how trappers get animals? They set up this beautiful little cage, and they put this nice little, maybe it's a mouse, and you're trying to get rid of a mouse out of your house, and you have this nice big old fat piece of cheese, and you set it out there, or you set something out, and you're enticing them, and then the little, the little mouse comes in and goes, oh, that's a beautiful piece of cheese. I think I want that cheese. I've passed it every day. It's calling my name. I think I'm going to eat the cheese. And they say, you know what? The trap gets them, right? Because we know what entices us from the wicked is a trap. Did you hear what he said here? Let's go back. He said, for it is in vain to spread a net in the sight of a bird. See, one way you catch birds is you put a net up. But if you, a bird sees a net, what does a bird do? They go the other direction. He says, and if you're a wise person and they're enticing you, the reason you don't walk in their path, the reason you guard your steps is because what they're enticing you to do, it is a trap. Everybody say trap with me. Trap. It's a trap. But another reason they don't walk with the wrong crowd is because they realize ultimately their decisions, if they follow the enticement, will ultimately hurt themselves. Now look, look what it says here. Go back. He says, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. 
They send ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. In other words, when the wise person, the reason they don't walk with the wicked, the reason they don't walk with the wrong crowd, is yes, because that enticement is a trap, but also because they know that at the end of the day, if I fall into this, ultimately, who's it going to hurt the most? Me. It's going to hurt my relationship with people. It's going to hurt my relationship with the Lord. And so Solomon says, listen, here's how wise people walk. Here's the path of a wise person. They cling to wisdom, and they don't walk with the wrong crowd. Now, I want you to hear me. Everybody look right here. I want you to hear me. Here's the question you got to answer tonight. Here's the question we all have to answer. You ready? Are you going to walk in the way of the wicked? Are you going to walk in the way of the wise? Which one of those? Because the last thing he says here, and I want us to notice, is the truth about wisdom. This is going to take us a while to kind of navigate this, but I want you to hear me. The truth about wisdom. First of all, there's three fundamental truths, and the first one's found in verse 20 and 21. He says, wisdom cries aloud in the secret, in the markets, she raises her voice. And the head of the noisy street, she cries out. And at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. The first truth about wisdom is this, is that wisdom isn't something to be found, it's something to be embraced. Wisdom isn't something to be found, it's to be embraced. So you got this way of the wicked, it's all about themselves and hurting people, and you got the way of the wise that cling to those truths, that cling to that stuff, cling to that wisdom, and they choose not to walk in the way of the wicked. And one of the truths we learn about wisdom is this, is that wisdom is not something to be found. In other words, God's not hiding wisdom out. It's not waiting to ambush us like the wicked are. God's wisdom is public, he says. It's crying out from the streets. It speaks at the gates. God's wisdom is everywhere. God's not like this, 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 this God that has this fishing pole with the carrot in the stick, and he's holding it, enticing us with it, and the closer we get, the more he moves it. That's not how God operates. God's not moving the mark. God doesn't make us work for that wisdom. In fact, if we desire wisdom, guess what? He gives it. Isn't that what James 1 says? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask it. And God gives how? In short supply, right? That's what it says, right? No. And God gives generously. I want you to know God's not hiding his wisdom from your life. It's available, but you got to embrace it. It's not something God's holding out on you. Now, this, listen, here's why this is so important. Because there's so many of us in this room, and there's so many of us watching, that we feel like, okay, maybe I'm just a new Christian. Maybe I've made too many mistakes in my life. And for some reason or another, I just feel like I don't know enough to make the right decisions. Listen, God is not holding that stuff out on you. All you have to do is decide, desire it and embrace it. He's not holding it back from you. If you lack wisdom, ask And he gives us generously. So the first truth we learn is that wisdom isn't something to be found, but it's something to be embraced. The second thing we learn is found in verse 22 and 23. It says this, How long, O simple ones, will your love be simple? How long will you scoffers delight in your scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof or correction, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and make my words known to you. Here's the second truth of wisdom, and it's this, is that wisdom is available to all, to everyone. Did you notice the three kind of people he talked about? He started with the simple. Remember, we talked about them last week. The simple are people who are naive, gullible, easily led astray, ultimately because they have no convictions. They've taken no time to build convictions, and so they just kind of go with the wind. 
And then you've got the scoffers. Scoffers is talking about those who are arrogant, who think they know everything. You know anybody like that? Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, if you don't know anybody like that, you may be the one we're all talking about, right? So that's, that's kind of scoffer. They think they know everything. And then you've got fools. Fools refers to those who are ignorant of the truth. They care nothing for the truth. And you notice what he says there? Simple. How long are you going to stay simple? In other words, those of you that build no convictions, how long are you going to live that life? And then he says, scoffers, those who think you know everything, how long are you going to live your life thinking that you're better than everybody else, or that you're smarter than everybody else? Foolish, how long are you going to live ignoring the truth that's before you? But he says this in verse 23. I don't want you to miss this. But if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. In other words, if you are the arrogant person, if you are the person that's built no convictions, or if you're the person that has avoided truth, listen, God is not going to hold his wisdom back for you, but if you want his wisdom, it begins with repentance. He said, if you turn at my correction, I'm going to pour my wisdom out on you. I'm going to give you the ability to understand what I'm saying. And so if you find yourself in this place and you're the simple, you're the one that struggled with convictions, or you find yourself as a scoffer who is arrogant or the foolish who's ignored the truth of God's word, at the end of the day, what he's saying is, the wisdom that I possess is for everyone. But for those of us that have ignored it, for those of us that have think they were arrogant, and for those of us that built no convictions, if we're truly going to embrace the wisdom that God has for us, it begins with a heart of repentance, a heart that turns from ignorance, that turns from no conviction, turns from arrogance, and says, Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom in my life. Let me give you the third fundamental truth we find about wisdom. It's found in verse 24 and 25. It says this, Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Now stop there. He's saying here, listen, here's the third truth. Ignoring my wisdom comes at a cost. Can you, feel him, can you feel Solomon building up? He says stuff like, you've refused my counsel. You haven't heeded my outstretched arm. You've ignored my counsel. You've ignored my reproof. You've ignored my correction. Listen, I've done all I can to pour out my wisdom to you, to show my love to you, and you've ignored it, you've shunned it, and you've paid no attention to it. So if you ignore the wisdom of God, there's a cost that comes with that. And then Solomon tells us the cost. Don't miss it. Here it is. The first cost we see in verse 26 and 27, he says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and calamity comes like a whirlwind, and when distress and anguish come upon you. Here's what he says. If you ignore the wisdom of God, you're going to experience desolation, destruction, and despair in your life. Listen, in other words, the saying is this. If you ignore the wisdom of God, you ready? It will wreck your life. Listen to the word Solomon uses. Terror, calamity, distress, anguish. How many of us want those things in our lives? Right? Nobody, right? But he's saying if you ignore the wisdom of God, if you shun the wisdom of God rather than embracing it, if you shun it, that comes at a cost. And what it's going to cost you is you're going to wreck your life. You're going to have despair. You're going to have destruction. You're going to have desolation. You, and listen, and when those things come, don't be surprised. Because that's a decision you've made. And then he gives one more thing about this, this cost. Look at me in verse 28 through 31. He says this, and this is probably the saddest of them all. 
He says, then they will call upon me, but I will what? Not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. In other words, this, listen, for those people who are ignoring my counsel, here's one of the costs. It's going to lead them to a place of desperation. Yeah, they're going to experience destruction. Yeah, there's going to be despair, but ultimately there's going to be desperation. They're going to be between a rock and a hard place, and they're going to cry out with everything in them and cry out to me. But listen, I won't hear them. Why? Because they don't really fear the Lord. Why? Because they don't cry out to me because they want a relationship with me. They cry out to me because they want to be rescued. That's it. They don't want to know me and care about me and live for me. They just want me to rescue them from their circumstance that they don't want to be in. So ultimately, what does Solomon say that God's going to do? He's going to allow them to reap what they have sown. Now, I want you to hear me and hear it clearly. When we think about the truth of wisdom, I know it's easy to come hear a message and we go home and go, well, you know, maybe that impacted my life or that was good or I didn't understand that or whatever it is. And then we kind of lay it down and we never come back to it. Hear me on this. We need to leave this place. We need to walk away from this time together and realize the value of the wisdom of God. The truth is that wisdom is not hiding out from us, that all we have to do is pray and seek it and embrace it. It is for everyone. I don't care how much you sin, how much you failed, how new you are to the faith. It is for you. But if we ignore it, if we ignore this book and we shun it and we disregard it, there is a cost that will come with that. We will wreck our lives. And many of us know that firsthand, don't we? Now Solomon ends this passage by challenging these folks with a choice. Look at me in verse 32. He basically says, listen, you guys have a choice, and here it is. For the simple are killed by turning away, and complacency of fools destroys them. In other words, you have a choice. Here's a choice. You can choose to follow the path and the way of the wicked, and you're going to experience suffering for that and judgment for that. You're going to be held accountable for going down that path. Or, verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Or, you can follow the way of the wise and experience the protection, the provision, and the direction of God in your life. It's like Solomon writes this, here's the way of the wicked, here's the way of the wise. What are you going to do? Because if you ignore God's truth, just know it's coming. If you ignore God's truth, just know you're going to be held accountable. If you ignore God's truth, just know this. And hear me, if you ignore his wisdom out of this book, it will wreck your life, your marriage, your relationship, your finance, your influence, your testimony. It will wreck everything. So what are you going to do? Follow the way of the wicked or the way of the wise? I love how Solomon wrote that. It, it almost leaves the reader with that, that kind of, gut-wrenching dilemma that we're all faced with in this very moment. It's this. What are we going to choose? What are we going to choose? Are we going to follow the way of the wicked people that's in our life that shouldn't have a voice, but they do? Are we going to follow the way of the wise? And we're going to cling to the wisdom that's in this book. We're going to cling to the wisdom that godly people have put into our life, that we're going to choose to not walk with the wrong crowd, but we're going to guard our steps 
Because we know that when people entice us to sin, it's a trap. And we know that when we're enticed to sin and we give in, it only leads to hurt for ourselves and to those we love and we care about. So I'm asking us in this moment, which path are we going to choose? The way the wicked or the way the wise? And I guess my prayer as the band comes this, this evening is this, is that as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, those of us that say that we know him, we love him, and we care about him, and you say, well, Doug, I, that's me, and, I, and I'm a believer, and I, tonight I, I, I choose the way of the wise. I want to be that wise person who clings to wisdom and doesn't follow the way of the wicked. Well, if that's you, here's a couple questions I want us to wrestle with. You ready? Here's the first one. What area of your life do you need God's wisdom in? Don't just say, I need God's wisdom. We all need God's wisdom. Specifically name it. You've got, a, you've got a connection card somewhere around you, and if you're sitting here, please take a moment and write down, you don't have to put your name on it. Just write a word. I, I need wisdom in my marriage. I need wisdom in my finances. I need wisdom with my kids. I need wisdom in my testimony. I need wisdom with my influence. I need wisdom with my job. I need wisdom. I need whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Write it down. As you leave, put it in the bin as you drop out, as you drop by, walk by. And if you're watching online, right now, grab your smart device and the little comment section, just put one word, what do you need wisdom in? And would you just confess that to the Lord, where you need wisdom? And the second question I think we have to wrestle with is this. Listen, everybody look at me. Will we receive it? See, it's one thing to know we need it. It's another thing to receive it. Here's what I mean. God, I need wisdom and the behaviors of my life, and the decisions I'm making regarding my language. And then you begin to jump in Scripture, and God begins to pour His wisdom in your life about not letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. At the end of the day, then you, you needed that wisdom, but did you receive that wisdom, and are you executing and obeying that wisdom that God has given you? So if you're a follower of Christ and say, man, I, I want to follow the way of the wise, the question is simple. What area do you need wisdom? And Will you truly receive it and obey it in your life? And then maybe there's somebody here, somebody watching that doesn't have a, a relationship with Christ, and I would say to you the wisdom that I want you to listen to is this. It's the wisdom of the gospel. And it says this, that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of God's glory. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son to this world to die on a cross that we might know the forgiveness of sins. And if that's you in your story, would you hear that wisdom? And would you receive it by admitting that you're a sinner? By saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave. And I confess him in this very moment, Lord and Savior. That's the wisdom I hope you hear and the wisdom I hope you receive. So I'm going to ask all of us, would you all just stand with me? Everybody stand with me. And I'm going to ask us to be faithful in this moment, to respond as the Lord leads us. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this word. I know there's a lot of passage here, Lord. But God, I thank you that Solomon lays out for us. There's a way that the wicked operate. And there's a way that the wise should operate. And the truth about it is, if we, if we follow the way of the wicked and we ignore the wisdom that you give us, it will wreck our lives. There is a cost with that. But if we will follow the way of the wise and we will cling to your wisdom and we will guard our steps and not follow the wickedness of the wrong crowd, then and only then 
can we begin to experience the provision, the protection, and the direction that you have for our lives. So God, I pray for believers in this moment that we would ask ourselves, if we want to follow the way of the wise, where do I need wisdom? And will I receive that wisdom and apply it to my life? And for those that maybe have never trusted you, Lord, may they hear the wisdom of the gospel and they may receive it and surrender their lives to Christ right now. God, we love you and we ask you to wreck us, move us, challenge us. But in this moment, Lord, I ask you to change us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.